Well, amen. Thank you, Russell, for leading. Uh, thank you, Mr. Howell, for praying for us tonight. As you know, um, or I, I say as you know, as you might know, uh, my anchor verse is Psalm 115.1. Psalm 115.1, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name we give the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. We'll dive into that in, in the context of all of Psalm 115 in just a moment. Um, but before we actually dive in, I kind of want to give you the backstory and just tell you a little bit of how and why um, Psalm 115.1 became um, my anchor verse, if you will. So in 2010, I graduated from Mississippi State um, when we, or I, moved to Fort Worth and I uh, started school at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. And I can remember my first few weeks just completely overwhelmed, literally walking the halls of the music buildings and thinking, Lord, if this is what you've called me to, I don't think I'm ever going to measure up. I'm looking at the, these seasoned master students, I'm looking at these seasoned doctoral students and thinking, Lord, I'm not them, and I'm pretty confident I'm never going to be them, and I was completely, I felt like I was just not where I ought to be. And I remember sharing this with one of my professors, who is now a dear friend, and he said, Brad, why are you here? Why, why are you here? Because if the answer to that question is to, to be somebody you're not, or if the answer to that question is to be like somebody else, or if your aspirations are solely to be better than the next person, then your ministry is all about you. And if you are truly called by God. God is going to equip you for the mission that he has for you and nobody else. Stop trying to be like the person that you don't even know. Stop trying to be like the person next to you. And he took his Bible off his shelf and he turned to Psalm 115.1. He said, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name we give the glory for the sake of your steadfast love. He looked at me and said, Brad, if you will let your ministry be built on this verse, God will bless you. And he's not talking about the blessing of health and wealth. He said, if you let your ministry be built for God's glory, only God can see what he's going to do through you. And as I look back on that, I am so grateful for Dr. Altman and his inve investment in me and pointing me to Psalm 115.1, which is also why anytime if you follow me on Facebook, most of the time I will hashtag any ministry comment or any ministry anything for his glory because that is a reminder to me, Brad, why are you putting this on Facebook? Is this so that people will see you or is it so people will see the Lord? So that being said, not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name we give the glory. So let's dive into Psalm 115. If you would, grab your Bibles and we're going to read it all. Psalm 115, because verse 1 is good, but it's even better when you understand it in context of all of the psalms. So here we go. Psalm 115. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Why should the nations say, where is their God? Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths but do not speak. Eyes but do not see. They have ears but do not hear. Noses but do not smell. They have hands but do not feel. Feet but do not walk. 
and they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them become like them. So do all who trust in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both small and the great. May the Lord give you increase, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord, you who made heaven and earth. The heavens are the Lord's heavens, but the earth he has given to the children of man. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor do any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. Lord, I thank you, to, thank you for the opportunity to stand behind this pulpit. But God, as we've already spoken tonight, Father, I pray that everything that I say, Lord, would be for your glory. Lord, would you Lord, take the words that I say and magnify them. And Father, may people hear you and not me tonight. Lord, we love you. These things we ask in your name. Amen. So here's the question. And it's a pretty broad question, but is the Lord your God? Think about that. Is the Lord your God? I'm going to keep diving into that. Are you worshiping him alone? Is the Lord your greatest happiness? Is the Lord or worshiping the Lord where you find your greatest satisfaction in life? Because if the answer is no, and listen, I know I'm the one that has the honor and privilege of standing here tonight. Sometimes I have to say no to those questions. And I think it's fair to say sometimes we might find ourselves putting other things above the Lord. But if the answer to any of those questions was not yes, then you have idols in your life. So let me just go ahead and say this. Idols from the very beginning is anything that we put in superiority over the Lord. Anything that we find desire in, anything that we find ourselves hungering for more than God is an idol. Anything. It can be our families. It can be our jobs. It can be money. It can be power. You name it. Fill in the blank. But anything that we serve more than God is an idol. So I'm going back to that original question, is the Lord your God? And so before we really get started, I'm going to kind of give you my ending. When I wrote the outline, I was going to end the plane here. And I'm still going to end the plane here, but I'm going to give you the ending before we even get started. So there's two, out, there's two statements at the bottom of your outline. It says, worshiping God alone, worshiping God alone leads to righteous contentment. Worshiping God alone leads to righteous contentment. Now, what do I mean by that? First off, let's look at contentment. Contentment means that we're satisfied, that we have had our fill. Think of uh, we've gone and just had a wonderful lunch, wonderful supper. We are full. We have had everything that we want, and we're leaving the table full. And then we add righteous in front of that. Righteous being the way, worshiping God by the way that he has instructed us to do in his word. And so when we think about it from the context of worship, worshiping God leads to righteous contentment, means that we have worshiped God rightly and there is nothing else in the world that we need. 
We are completely satisfied. But on the flip side of that, worshiping idols produces unrighteous, I'm sorry, worshiping idols produces unrighteous discontentment. Worshiping idols produces unrighteous discontentment. I think you're smart, and I think you could probably deduce what this means, but I'm still going to walk through it really quickly. So when we see discontentment, that means that we are not satisfied, that we, we are left wanting more. Unrighteous means that we have placed something, that we are gravitating towards something other than God, something other than God is receiving our worship, which means we are not worshiping God rightly as he has instructed us in his word. And so when we go through this process, it never leaves us satisfied. We always want more. And again, you can fill in the blank with whatever that idol is, but when we worship something other than God, it leaves us wanting more. It never satisfies. Think of that sin, maybe that habitual sin that you have in your life, and you keep going back to it, and you think in the moment it's going to give you what you need, but then you finish, and it's like it's gone, and like, it's, well, the joy has left you just like that. Remember there's a song that we sing? The joy that the sin that promised joy in life, what does it do? The sin that promised joy in life leads us to the grave. So whatever we desire other than God is an idol, and idol worshiping idols will lead to unrighteous discontentment. Let's move on. And when we think about this in the context of John 4, you have Jesus and the woman at the well. And this um, Jesus is asking this woman for a drink of water. And, and first off, you know the conversation. She says, how are you asking me for water? And Jesus is having this conversation, but ultimately he gets to the point and says, if you would drink from this water, you would never thirst again. And what does that mean? Does that mean that the moment we come to Christ, the moment that we receive Christ in us and the word is inside of us, we never need Christ anymore? Absolutely not. That's not what it means. But when we come to Christ and said the word is in us, it's like an ever-flowing stream of God and his word in our lives that we'd never need to turn to anything else. And we always know where we can get sustenance because it's right here living inside of us. That's what it means to have the living water. You, you look at that with what we have with God and worshiping him as opposed to idols that leave us, leave us completely dry. So that is our context tonight. Are we going to worship God or are we going to worship idols? And that leads us to number one in our outline. Number one, which says true worship gives God the glory. This is verses one through three. True worship gives God the glory. And it starts, not to us, O Lord, not to us. What is the psalmist saying here? The psalmist opens up with this declaration that no man should receive the glory of God. It's not possible. Man cannot bear receiving God's glory. You see, ever since the garden, we have people who are fighting and competing for God's glory. Again, I'm guilty. We have all been there. We have all, with our pride and sin, we have desired to be number one. But God alone can be number one. Isaiah 48 rem reminds us that God will not share his glory with another. You see, because of sin, we want to be our own kings. We want to be king. 
but that is our own sinful desire. And the psalmist here is implying that we are not worthy of God's glory. And I go on to ask, why does God receive the glory? It's because, and verse 1 answers it, it's because of his steadfast love and faithfulness. You see, in writing this, the psalmist is reminding himself of God's covenant that he has made with them. God's affectionate covenant that he has made with Israel. See, look over the span of their life. God has continued to show his love time and time again in saving them from themselves. And and the psalmist here is declaring, God, you've been faithful. Your love is for us, and we don't have to question it, which makes verse 2 seem out of place. How does verse 2 start? Well, this, it says, why should the nations say, where is their God? When we read that, we think, well, that seems a little odd. Verse 1 just said, not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to your name we give the glory. And then all of a sudden it says, where, why should the nations say, where is their God? But we have to remind ourselves what's going on in Israel's life. You see, the farther that Israel gets from these miraculous moments where God has saved them, whether it be um, saving them from the Egyptian army, saving them and meeting every need that they would have in the wilderness. The farther they get from these moments, the closer, the more familiar they look towards the world. I'm going to pause here for a moment and because here's a big application point for us. Can you think of anything in your life, church, where God has had a miraculous moment in your life, i.e. salvation, where he has taken us from darkness and brought us into his marvelous light. Ephesians 5 says we were lost, we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and God God made us alive in Christ. That is the biggest miracle that we will ever see in our life, the moment that God saved you from his wrath. But unfortunately, and I'm guilty, I keep saying that, I'm guilty here too. The the farther we get from that salvation experience, unfortunately, sometimes we start to look more and more like the world. And there's a phrase that I like to go with that says, the holiness has become familiar. The holiness has become all too familiar. But we have to guard against that and to know that God is God. And then we are to fight against that. You see, these surrounding nations, whether it be Canaan, Babylonia, Syria, Persia, Egypt, they are taunting Israel here. They're saying, where is your God now? You just look like the rest of us. Where is your God? If if your God is so good, why are your lives so bad? That's essentially what they're asking. But if you read this closely, you see that It's a rhetorical question. The psalmist is not questioning God, but he's declaring, matter of fact, he's doubling down on the fact that God is God and that his faith alone lies in God and that God does receive and need to receive the glory. The psalmist is essentially praying for mercy on Israel's circumstances. He is pleading for God, God, help us. God, help help us to make things right so that these other nations wouldn't have to say, where is their God? Lord, help us to worship you rightly as you have instructed us to do. Help us not to get this wrong. That's what the psalmist is declaring. And in verse 3, he goes on and says, our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. You see, 
The psalmist here is declaring again that God is God, that he's above it all. That we are his creation, living in the world that he created. That, that God is completely, that God is completely holy. That he is transcendent, meaning that he is completely other than. And that his power goes above and beyond everything. And also declaring that why should we worry? Because he is sovereign. And no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, God is God and we are not. Even when we don't understand it, which is what makes him sovereign and all-knowing. And so, again, no matter what valley we find ourselves in, we only have to trust in God's word, stand firmly in it, that God's steadfast love is right there with us. And it, we'll get to this in a minute, that he is going to bless us. And again, that's not a health and wealth, but instead this blessing that God's presence is with us, that he has blessed us with his Holy Spirit, and that he is with us every step of the way. The psalmist beautifully illustrated here that we do not have to question God's goodness. And for us in this room, now that we're on this side of Calvary, we only have to look back to the cross to see God's goodness. So number one, true worship gives God the glory. Let's move on to number two. True worship excludes idols. True worship excludes idols. We see this in verses four through eight. You see, the writer here is a... Uh, putting his attention back to those nations who don't know God, the people who are against God, and specifically the psalmist is pointing out the idols that they worship, and this is where he's gonna talk about these attributes that, that man physically gave them as opposed to a holy God. So he's drawing this contrast between God and these man-made idols. You see, even here, we, can, we know this, God, he created all of us, God makes living things, and yet man makes dead things. Even at the best attempt, you look at verse 4, it says these idols are made of gold and silver. Yes, it might be worth a lot of money, but at the end of the day, gold and silver are dead metals. Man makes, gold, man makes dead idols, makes dead things. Now listen to these. They have mouths but can't speak. They have eyes but can't see. Ears but can't hear. Noses but can't smell. Hands but can't feel. Feet but can't walk. And they can't even make a sound in their throat. I'm going to go through these one more time and I'm going to communicate the truth that I believe that is coming through in contrast to what God does for us. You see, the fact that they have mouths and can't speak, I believe that this means that the idols cannot communicate truth. The eyes but can't see means these idols can't perceive your needs. They can't, they don't know if you obey or disobey. They are completely unaccountable to you. Ears but can't hear means they can't hear your prayers. Noses but can't smell means these idols can't smell the aroma of our, of our sacrifices and we know that God's word says that he delights in our sacrifices. They have hands but can't feel, feet but can't walk, means these idols will not come to your aid. And then in verse 8, it says, those who make them become like them. And there's a big word for that, dead. 
if you make these idols, you will become like these idols, which is dead. You see, if you worship idols, you'll become dull, not perceiving the world. You'll become like the world, which is essentially a walking dead person. Don't put your trust in idols. Don't put your trust in something that cannot bear your worship. The psalmist is not wanting you to go that way, but instead he's pointing you to trust in God and God alone. God is the only one who can adequately receive your worship. And that takes us to number three. True worship brings blessings. True worship brings blessings. And I know I've said this already twice already, but this is not blessings of health and wealth. This is not saying that if you worship God rightly, you will make lots of money. Matter of fact, it's probably doing the opposite, that if you worship God rightly, you will walk through struggles. But the promise here is that God will not leave us. What does the end of the Great Commission say? And lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is that fulfilled knowing that Jesus is saying that? Going up to be with the Father. He sent the gift of the Holy Spirit down. And the Holy Spirit is within us. And he is with us. And we are never alone. And we walk through these struggles knowing that God is with us. Three times the psalmist proclaims trust in the Lord. He says, O Aaron, I'm sorry, O Israel, trust in the Lord. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Who is he talking to? Well, O Israel is obviously talking to the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. And when he talks about O house of Aaron, he's talking about these priests, the, the ones who are making these sacrifices. And then when he's talking about you who fear the Lord, this is anyone who puts their trust and faith in God. He's declaring to trust God because he is our help and shield. I want to pause a minute. Think. How has God been our help? How has God been our shield? And no, I keep coming back to that, but in our lowest point in our lives, God saved us from our own sin. There was nothing that we could do to earn righteousness. There was no good work we could do, no um, sequence of good works we could do. And yet God met our need and saved us. How is he our shield? Well, he shields us from sin's temptation. He, sent, he shields us from Satan's fiery darts. He is our help and shield, Psalm 46, uh, verse 3. It says, God is a refuge and strength, our ever-present help in time of need. So again, I say, we only have to look to the cross to see God's goodness and how he's blessed us. And if we find ourselves saying, Lord, I don't see your blessings, I urge you, to ask the question of yourself, are you truly worshiping the Lord? And again, I've preached over half of this message and I've been talking about the word worship and I am not from the farthest thing talking about music. Worship is not about music. Worship is us responding to a holy God in a way that would bring him glory. Whether that means waking up and going immediately to our Bible study Maybe that means waking up and joining a group of men for um, discipleship breakfast. Maybe that means walking across the street and sharing God's word with someone else who needs to hear it. 
Worship is responding to what God has us to do. Luke 9, 23, take up your cross daily and follow me. I, I truly believe that verse is the definition of what it means to worship. Are you taking up your cross daily and following Jesus? And if you are doing that and spending time in your word or his word, God is blessing you. And I am 100% sure of it. Forgive us if we are not seeing the blessings of the Lord. I go back to what Mark shared um, last week. How he talked about how Dale Huff was holding his pulse. Every time we feel our pulse, it's grace. Well, you know what? That's a blessing. Grace is a blessing that we don't deserve. So church, may we not say that God's not blessing us. There's no valley that we could find ourselves in that we could say God is not blessing us. If we are worshiping God rightly, he is blessing. Verses 12 through 15 continue to, to reiterate this to the same people. Israel, house of Aaron, those who fear the Lord and us, that God will bless us if you trust in him. And again, this is in contrast to those dead idols. God has remembered us and blessed us. God's ability to bless is certain in this world. Lastly, number four. True worship results in praise to God. True worship results in praise to God. Verses 16 through 18. The psalmist exemplifies that when you trust in God, it results in praise to God. And in verse 16, he, here he corresponds back to verse 3, to the fact that God is in the heavens. God is above it all. Why is this? Why, why has God given the earth to us so that we would live out his character and bring about his authority for his glory? And we can't live in his character and live for him without giving him the glory. He has done this so that we would declare our trust in him. Moving on to verse 17. The dead do not praise the Lord. This is the nations. Those, this, this is the people who do not trust in God. And instead of praising the Lord, they are worshiping things that are not worthy. They are worshiping these idols that cannot bear their worship. And verse 18. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. The psalmist is reminding himself of this truth. You see, we were made to worship the Lord. That's more than just a, a good lyric. We were made to worship. God created us in his image for his glory. And if we use our status and if we use our jobs or whatever it is to bring glory to ourselves, we are not doing what God has intended us to do. Think about it as a church. God has blessed us as a church. We are so blessed. Our music ministry, I do not feel that I am worthy to be able to stand on this stage and, and conduct this orchestra and conduct this choir week after week after week. I am blessed. Every one of us, we are blessed and yet if we do this for the sake of our church, we are trying to build a church uh, or we're trying to build the kingdom of First Baptist. But yet 
we have an opportunity to use God's blessings to not make a First Baptist kingdom, but to make and to further God's kingdom. So how are we using the blessings that God has given us? We have to answer that in every ministry that we have here at the church. The music ministry, students, college, how are we making a name for Jesus outside of the walls of the church? May it not be about us building a kingdom here, but making God's kingdom bigger there. So no matter what the decision is, may we ask ourselves, is this for our glory or is this for God's glory? So I told you where we were going to end the plane. I'm going to go back to these two statements. Worshiping God leads to righteous contentment. That there is nothing else in this world could satisfy as God does. And worshiping idols produces unrighteous discontentment. Meaning that we're never satisfied. Meaning that we always find ourselves in need of more. That there is nothing filling the void that I'm seeking. And nothing ever will until we turn to the Lord and worship him and him alone. So church, what idols do you need to place at the altar tonight? What, all, what idols do I need to place at the altar tonight? Because if we're all honest, we all have them. There are times in our lives where we put all kind of things in front of our priority of the Lord. So may this be the reminder for us that all we have is Christ and all we need is Christ. And before Russell comes in just a moment and leads us in this time of invitation, I do want you to sincerely evaluate your soul and your heart. What do you need to lay at the feet of Jesus tonight? And I also want us to end with this chorus. It's a song that we've learned since I've been here, and it is super simple. It's hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, all I need is Christ. <laughs> Jesus is my life. I'm so sorry. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Hallelujah, Jesus is my life. Sing it again. Hallelujah, all I have is Christ.